Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So, sit back and relax, or, you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. And the storyteller, Supreme, and I just come all the way from New York, from America, to work to work with you guys today, doing a mini tour here and down at the Land on the first weekend of July, the London Alternative Market, and on the eighth of July we have a ticket-only event, which is where you get to spend a whole day learning from seriously one of the paragons of the scene since like the nineties. Oh God. At least yeah. the nineties, yeah. So I don't know if I was a paragon back then. <laughs> and then you, you were, were a current a, paragon. I think I was more of a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, yeah. anyway. Um, so I really want you to pay some attention because you're going to learn some good shit off mode. If you want to, uh, the ticket event is actually two hundred and forty-five pounds ahead today only. So the BBB tree is advertised off the BBB site at uh, ninety-nine pounds ahead. That's for a whole day of Molina education. So grab your tickets today, and you'll pay a fraction of the amount. Okay, over to Melina. Yay! Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, I first want to do a little sort of introduction. First of all, can everyone hear me over this fan? It just occurred to me. Yeah. Is that all right? Okay, yeah. good. The acoustics in here are actually pretty fucking good. We try. <laughs> so first and foremost, I just want to say a few things about how I teach and what my thing is. Um, oh, sorry. Rewind. I am recording myself. I have a little recording thing here. Um, this will be for my podcast so that folks who could not make it have the opportunity to hear what I have to say. Um, so I want to say thank you to you for being here because you are now the reason that other people who maybe can't come to a fetish event or who don't know what a fetish event is can have the opportunity to also learn. So thank you. You are now part of the Pervert Outreach Program. Um, so that's first and foremost. Second and second most is when I speak, it is about my experience, my opinions, and how I feel about shit. It is not anyone else's opinion. I am not speaking for black people. I am not speaking for women. I am not speaking for cisgender people. I am not speaking for queer people. I am just speaking for me. The first few years I did this, I did spend a lot of time going, in my opinion, your mileage may vary, blah, 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 blah. But now I'm middle age, now I'm here with fuck. You're old enough to remember that when I say something, it is me speaking about myself and my opinion, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think you guys can fucking be fading through that, so just keep that in mind in case you forget. It's me, it's my opinion, I'm saying shit, right? On the heels of that, it's my opinion and my shit. You will probably hear something that you're like, right, that's bullshit, fuck this <laughs> And that's great, because I have learned the most about myself hitting up against the walls of some shit that was bullshit, you know what I'm saying? Like, those are very powerful learning experiences. Like, I sat in classes and had people say things like, uh, slaves do not have the right to leave owners. The, the only way a slave can be released is if the dominant master or owner releases them. And I'm like, ha ha, you just try to own me if I fucking <laughs> none. <laughs> so to me, that was a huge amount of bullshit. But the reality was, I needed to hear that so that I could realize that that was not something that I wanted to have ruling my life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so, so, so that's the thing. I might say something, you might be like, oh my god, fuck you, that's bullshit. The only thing I ask is you not jump up and actually say, fuck you, that's bullshit. <laughs> because that's disruptive for the other people who are not having that particular epiphany in that moment. Right? That's that part. Um, if you have any uh, 
moments where you are comfortable and you're just like, I need to get myself out of here because we are probably going to be talking about some things that are uh, heavy. Uh, leave, please leave. I will never take it personally. I will never be upset. If I see people walking out of my class, do you know what my actual genuine reaction is? Good, thank God. Because they're not sitting there uncomfortable and, 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 and stressing. Right? Just go. It's okay. This is just me talking. I don't care. Leave. It's better that you have your mental health intact. Um, final piece. Probably going to be talking about some fucked up stuff. If at any point someone shares their own fucked up stuff, this stays in the room. You can repeat anything I say at any point to anybody. The news, the New York Times, your mom, I don't give a shit. But anything anyone else says in here should be held absolutely sacredly private. So if someone shares something in here, don't run into them downstairs at the plate party and say, hey, that scene you really want to do when you're dressed like a like Mickey Mouse Nazi and hung upside down and covered with peanut butter? I'm really into that. Leave it in the room. Figure out another way to get the Mickey Mouse Nazi scene done. <laughs> it just it needs to remain quiet in the room so that people feel safe and comfortable sharing. Agreed? We all agree with that? Okay, awesome. So, taboo play. What the fuck does taboo mean? What I first, because of that kind of nerd, started thinking about taboo, I was like, what the fuck, where is that word coming from? And I discovered that taboo actually comes from the Polynesian word tapu, T-A-P-U, little thingy over it. And what do you think tapu originally meant? Anyone know? Tapu originally means sacred. Something that was tapu was sacred was something that was only for the gods. For royalty, maybe, you know, um, but it was off limits for normal, regular people. And that was because it was sacred. And this was because things that are not supposed to be touched or fucked with are not supposed to be touched or fucked with for lots of different reasons. Taboo has come down in Western society as things that are taboo because they are bad for you. But the reality is sometimes things that are taboo are taboo because they're good for you. For example, on lots of Polynesian islands, there will be places that are taboo. Places you're not allowed to fish. These are the fishing areas of the gods. Guess what? They're also the places where the spawning happens for the fish. So by making something forbidden to you, you have now made it so that you can survive and live more effectively because now there's more fish. You have not overfished. Taboo against like dumping your piss and shit pot in certain places is a really good taboo to have. Because then you do not have, what the fuck? Not, not in here. I swore, dude, that was fucking nuts. This pigeon was legit hovering. <laughs> like she had business here. <laughs> I was like, yo, whoa. What was I saying? Super weird. Having these things with the stuff and the thing. Dumping up poop, right? Yes. It was meant to keep you safe. Taboo against fucking your mom, brother, sister, or first cousin, right? Good idea. Regardless of what you personally think about it, inbreeding, uh, well, my beloved owner and Southmeister is from Austria. Take a look at their royal family and see what happens. Well, take a look at dogs. Let us be frank. <laughs> so the reality is that things that are off limits are off limits oftentimes for good reasons, right? And then, of course, you have colonizers coming in and saying, well, if it's Taboo, it must be bad, it must be bad for you. We're going to now add some more taboos on top of the shit you already have, just in case you weren't feeling bad enough, because that's what colonizers do. They come in and fuck shit up. Then we got the word taboo, and taboo was meant, uh, grown to mean something that is off limits, something that is for forbidden, because it is intrinsically bad or wrong. I am forbidding you from fucking your mom because it is bad. I am forbidding you from dumping your poop in the street because it is bad. Right? Then you get to the BDSM scene. What are we doing all day and all night? Shit that's bad. <laughs> Shit that other people are like, whoa, 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 not cool. Things that on the surface look extremely terrifying, dangerous, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually risky and fucked up. And we're like reveling in it. We're like bathing in it. We're like, oh my God. <laughs> this is the good <laughs> And yet, you can piss off and shock perverts. When you are a member of any sort of online dating, some of you are probably too old to remember bondage.com or callerme.com. Some of you are like, ugh. Yes, the evil old days. Back when the sound of foreplay started with, Eer! 
And you're just like, yeah, here it comes. <laughs> Get someone old to explain it if you're <laughs> When you would log on to these sites and people were listing the things that they did not do, their taboos, their forbidden shit, what are some common ones you would always see? No insects. No Age play, no. Scat. No scat, no. Bestiality, no. Blood, right? These are like the things you have. Here's the fascinating thing about that. One of those things, two of those things, a few of those things are thrown in up against shit that's illegal and harmful. I think we can all agree that uh, fucking with kids is bad. Yeah. yeah. I think we can all agree on that, right? But why is that right next to playing with poop? Why is that right next to blood? That's because we in the West have such a strong taboo against our own bodily functions that the thought of doing anything to sexualize them repulses most of us. Because that's what we have been taught. You know who does not know that? A baby. When my sister was born and I had to change the title for the first time, I literally dropped her off and mom was like, bye, go, not, nope. I was like, she just went poop on me. My mom's like, wash her. I'm like, I'm sorry, maybe you didn't understand. She rubbed poop on me. <laughs> baby some milk, baby some hair. We have to be taught this. We have to learn it, right? And so when we are learning about ourselves, we also have to learn what is and is not okay for our cake. We have to learn what sort of fetishes are or are not okay. And we have to figure out where our own edges are. And this is the first and most important thing. We're talking about edge play. Sit and figure out where your edges are. Now, you cannot do all of this in a lab in your brain. Oftentimes, you have to learn and figure out by doing what is or is not okay for you. But doing thought experiments and seeing how you feel about edgier play is going to be very important when you start to explore those edgier play styles and when you decide to maybe go and jump in and explore those things for yourself. I personally feel the why for our scenes and the shit that we choose to do is the most important facet to our cake. Over and above even experience, over and above even skill of the why. Why are you doing this scene? And when you are talking about edge play, the why is going to be even more important because while everyone can have their own definition of edge play, like edge play, play that is edgy, it's in the name. But in my opinion, personally, when I talk about edge play, I talk about the things that scare you personally, the things that unsettle you personally. The things that make you angry, personally. The things that make you sad, personally. The shit that you have suppressed in your memory to the point that you do not ever want to think about it, personally. The fantasy that you would never say out loud. The thing that you are too ashamed to say to even your partner who you know loves you. That's your edge, and that's what we'll play, and that's what the fuck we are talking about here. And there is an intrinsic risk emotionally. It's difficult to play in these dark spaces. We are so often told, be nice, smile, don't hit, don't push. And so most of us who are not on the spectrum of being sociopaths have taken that information to heart and live like that on a daily basis. So jumping into, stepping over into that edginess can be very difficult and very scary. And please do not think for a moment, I'm not talking about everyone in the scene, because we'll definitely talk later, but I give an example of a scene that did not go as planned. The risk is as great, if not more, in some cases, for the dominant top or the person running the scene. Edgy play is as dangerous for everyone. It is as dangerous for the person doing the fucked up thing as it is for the person having the fucked up thing done to them. Seriously, and so often tops are sort of pushed to the side in terms of the emotional and psychological risks that they are subjecting themselves to by doing this kind of shit. And I will tell you, edge play especially is emotionally risky. And if a scene goes off the rails, usually who is the person who gets blamed first? Yeah, usually. 
In my case, of course, because I'm a special snowflake, I managed to draw attention to myself with a terrible body as well. <laughs> So it can, the knife does cut both ways, but generally when things get fucked up, the assumption is, well, you know, you're running the scene, you're in charge, you fucked up, right? So when we're talking about this time of play, please do take into account or be prepared to weigh, to bear that risk. Is that something which really is critical and valuable and important to you? The why of the edge play is important. Sometimes people do scenes to show off. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely the fuck not. If you have an amazing skill and you've been working for hours and hours and years to do the perfect rope bondage, I'm not going to fucking begrudge you for clearing the space in the entire dungeon and having your bottom with 18 floodlights on them. Like, that's fucking dope. Amazing. Now, do I think that's the best way to do a scene that is recreating a personal trauma? Maybe not. Perhaps not. But perhaps it is. These things are all very individual. So I am not judging any reason, but I hope to God that if you're doing edge play, you have a reason. And that you have communicated that effectively to the other people involved in the scene, and that they are able to tell you back, that they are able to return to you, you know, that mirroring thing where you say this, and then they say, what I heard you say is blah, blah, blah. I strongly advise that for doing these kinds of scenes because you don't want to have someone misunderstand your intent the why, why are you doing this scene? Why do we do edge play? Why am I doing this particularly edgy scene, right? Yeah. So what are some reasons that people do edge play? First one, showing off. Sometimes you just want to show off this cool last scene. What are other reasons that people do edgy shit? Feelings. The feelings, the emotional rush, <coughs> and the excitement, the terror, the fear, whatever that is. It can be a real adrenaline drug. Yes, what else? To get off. To get off. Processing trauma. Processing trauma, amazing, awesome. What else? Pushing limits. Pushing limits. Catharsis. Yeah? Release of that type of energy. These type of scenes, while they are already on the edge, it's a fast track to that catharsis, to that adrenaline, right? If I'm doing a scene where I, for example, am being uh, screamed at by someone who is taking the role of a racist and saying some fucked up shit, I don't have to imagine what that's like. I'm living in this fucking body. You think I ain't heard that shit? I certainly have. You don't want to talk about that. That's not like a, that's, that's, that's life. That's life in the dungeon. Is that dangerous? <clears throat> yes, it is. Is it also fascinating? To me, it is absolutely fascinating. Because I am now doing psychological experiments on myself. <laughs> <laughs> To me, that's part of what edge play is. It's the same experiment on myself that I am running and that I am ultimately in charge of. And when people, especially other African-Americans, think, like, why the fuck would you do that? I say, because I wrote the script. I wrote it. That white person you see saying shit to me, they are my employee for this hour. They're working for me. And I get to say how this goes. It's mine. It's my process. And therefore, I take ownership of it. And my belief is that when I take ownership of something, regardless of how difficult and crazy it is, it belongs to me and that I can play with it. And I can see where it lives in my body. Does that make sense? All of us have trauma, right? Playing with trauma is something that a lot of people will utilize in edge play. I want to make very clear the following. Doing fucked up shit is not a way to cure your trauma, okay? Doing edge play scenes, recreating trauma, recreating abuse, whatever it is, is not a way for you to cure yourself from trauma. Now my little happy catchphrase is, it can be therapeutic, but it is not therapy, and never takes the place of therapy, right? I have done scenes that have been incredibly happy. Yay, yay! You know, this is the thing. If you are in your life processing and working on shit, it can be very informative for you to create a safe and structured bubble where you can see how your mind, heart, and body work under this type of pressure. And that's what always was so fascinating to me about playing with racially based stuff, which is one of my big edges. Um, 
But it's not the first edge that I came across. I will tell you the first time I came across something that was super edgy for me, and the first time I created a new limit. I had some obvious limits, right? Like, don't take off any limbs. <laughs> please do not fuck with my hair. Um, please do not. And this is, this is my most hilarious limit. People always laugh. They're like, do not insult my intelligence. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but you're so smart. You went to school for the kids. Your IQ is blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I know. And it makes me want to stab you. <laughs> and I don't know if you have said, if you trust your equipment, go right ahead. <laughs> Nobody ever trusts their equipment that much. Especially not since I saw a woman in suspension give a top a nosebleed. <laughs> With her foot. She just pulled out and was like, I'm like, oh, 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 well played, Sarah. Well played. <laughs> So um, I was doing a scene with a friend, nothing serious, and um, he had a mouthful of water, and we were both sweaty, and he thought it would be um, sort of cool and sexy to cool me off by spitting water on, on my face. And he, so he turned around and he's like, she's on my face. I, like, this was the first time I actually understood the term red mist. Oh. Like, I couldn't see straight. And I was like, you son of a fucking... I lost it. And I'm like, coming at him. And he's bigger and stronger, thank God, and knows he's like a second-degree black belt. And this is why the situation was okay. <laughs> he, like, sort of, like, scrubs me and is like, what is going on? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, what the fuck just happened? And he's like, that was a very strong reaction. I was like, so I finally calmed down. I was like, I don't know what just happened. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That was so fucked up. He was like, did this happen to you before? He approaches like going right into like, did I get a trigger? Is this a childhood thing? Did some racist spit on you when you were a kid? And I was like, no, no. I just, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And it was so weird. I calmed back down. And he's like, you should put that on your heart limit list. And I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I hated putting things on my limit list. That was like the baby sub. I was like, that's a key's goal. <laughs> I can take anything. It's just a mouthful of water. Who gives a fuck? You just caught me off guard. He's like, so you can put on your limit list? And I'm like, violent a reaction as lost my fucking mind like now he's got me on the floor like in some sort of hole and I'm like screaming and everyone in the party is like they're like look at this dude he can't even do anything and she freaked out because they didn't see him so they just think we're standing and talking suddenly I freak out and he has me on going like he's the master watching in action <laughs> He finally tells me to fuck down. He's got his foot on my chest and he's like, you better put that on your limits list. Now I'm like, fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> you go fuck yourself. You're not gonna, like, as he's getting home, he's like, drool. And as I'm screaming and like desperately trying to like get to his balls, but his legs are too long. The whole thing is just a tragedy. It's fucking terrible. So finally he stops. Next morning, we're hanging out at his house, reading the paper, having breakfast. Everything is lovely. He's like, now that we have come down, we need to talk about this, because I find this fascinating. I'm fascinated by the fact that you were clearly stressed and distressed and refused to put this on your limit list. Why wouldn't you protect yourself? I'm like, well, I have a whole criteria for my limit list. I used to have this whole list of like rules for things that were limits. They had to be harmful. It had to be something that would actually cause harm. Uh, I, I have since moved that to include psychological and emotional harm. Because <laughs> I'm not fucking like 25 anymore. <laughs> and now I'm just like, no, 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 no. Psychological harm, also harm, not going to go there. So as we're sitting there having this completely calm conversation over breakfast, he starts inching close to me. He's like, so is it on your limit list yet? And I'm just like, see, don't make me do it. <laughs> But I did, I felt like well with and he was like, okay, look, was that so hard? And I was like, yes. <laughs> because for me, something so, what I considered to be so stupid, I was like, how can that be a limit? How can that be edge play for me? It's saliva. 
I have licked this person's ass. <laughs> How is this a problem? They have licked my ass. And I'm like, what bodily fluids have been exchanged? But something about, I find inside of it, like once fluids leave the body, if they are free flowing, back. I'll suck, a, I'll suck a pussy, but if you drip onto me, no, no. It's the leaving the body part. This is what I figured out. Maybe I'm weird. It's just like, let me have this. So this was how I discovered my first like beard ass edge. And if you are newer to the scene and you're like, what the fuck is she talking about? I promise you, you're gonna get to the point where something weird freaks you out. And when it does, don't do what I did. Don't, don't let Steve torment you for 24 hours. <laughs> Just take your hit and move on. It's okay to have limits, God. So um, when I first decided that I was going to try and do scenes that were specifically about race and racist heritage um, as a type of educator that I dealt with, I realized that I was doing a kind of educator that was edgy not just for me. This is the next consideration when you are talking about edge play. Are you doing this type of play in a public or semi-public environment where other people may or may not be impacted? I personally feel that if you are creating community, it is a good idea to take some thought and consider your neighbors. Consider what you're doing within community that may or may not impact other people. Problem is, where's the boundary, where's the line, right? Something as simple as knife play, there was a party in the Bay Area that used to have one rule of no knife play at all. You could not even bring a knife into this dungeon. And the reason was that the woman who hosted the party had serious knife issues. And so she could not even go out to party safely without knowing that she would not be in the dungeon and turn around and see a knife scene. So she opened up her own dungeon and was like, no knives. Super proactive, she had that ability, so good for her. Not all of us have that capacity. So what we try to do is to consider our neighbors when we are playing in space that is shared. Now there are some scenes that are subtly edgy. I do not think if anyone walked through the dungeon and saw Steve spitting water in my face, they would be like, oh, who allowed that edge play in here? Jesus Christ. You might be a little grossed out, but you wouldn't necessarily jump to the assumption that this is an edgy scene. It doesn't look that edgy. Someone dressed up in full Nazi regalia does not have to be doing anything for it to be an edgy motherfucking scene. Someone walks into, if I walk into a fucking dungeon and I see someone dressed in a Ku Klux Klan robe, they don't have to say anything to me. Edge play is happening for them non-consensually, probably. <laughs> Whoops, oh my god, I can't the ball. <laughs> There's a reflex, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we have instances like this over and over again in the States where people show up to parties and basically at that point what they're trying to do is talk the room. If you walk into a party with something that is flagrantly and deliberately provocative, that is not about edge play. That is about you shocking the room. That is something I personally think is not cool. There are so many ways to have room for that type of fucked up shit. Have a fucked up party, right? Like there was a, the dungeon in San Francisco started having like like edge play weekend. So that Saturday and that Sunday, you knew that if you walked in there, the first thing you were going to see was um, Phil's grandfather's Nazi flag that he's got when he fucking freed some prisoners from camp. That has been in his family since then. He's like, bring up the Nazi flag. I'm like, great. Fuck that party weekend. Do it. Another couple of friends, <laughs> this is walking before the party, someone walks in dressed like Colonel Sanders from <laughs> And I was like, oh, 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 oh shit's gonna be lit! <laughs> and indeed, one of my girlfriends was being forced by a bucket of chicken. <laughs> I was like, you're not lit until you see a black woman crying while being forced by the fucking chicken leg. I need to go into one of these places. I was like, oh my god, that's so fucked up. It's a black white. Because here's the thing edge play can be scary, it can be horrifying, and it can also be fucking hilarious and ridiculous, right? The KFC fucking face fucking seat with the chicken leg. Hilarious. 
right? Singing tap dancing Nazis. Hilarious. And fucked up. Right? This is the beauty of these types of scenes. They go right to the gut. They go right to the core. They go right to the base of your skull. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to put yourself into a headspace. Your body is afraid, yeah? This is the fascinating thing about this type of play. It can really pull together the mind, body, and soul into a scene in a way that a lot of other scenes don't necessarily do or require a lot more work before you get into that fucking headspace, yeah? Whew, it is hot. A lot of fresh and stuff going on. Okay, great. So, edge play, negotiating for it. I want to do like sort of like a little tick thing. So you have an idea, you want to do this fucked up thing. What is the first level of negotiation that you need to do? Yes, with yourself. You have to know why you're doing the scene, what you want out of the scene, and I suggest asking the question, who do you want to be after this scene? Right? A lot of the point of doing kink is for pleasure and delight and sensuality. And the hope is that after you're done with the scene, you have been delighted, you have been pleased, you have survived the ordeal, whatever the reason is. Know what that reason is for this scene before you're going into it, especially with edge play. That reason might change. That reason might change in the middle of the goddamn scene. But go in there with something. That is a rope that will help you back out. Know where you are coming from. Have that firmly anchored. Know all your why. If you want to do a scene that is an edgy scene about uh, domestic violence, perhaps you want, to you want to recreate a domestic violence scene, right? Why are you doing that? Are you doing that because you have never been a survivor of, of intimate violence? And you're curious to see what that might be like? A little surface taste? Or are you someone who was a survivor of domestic abuse? And this sort of scene is something that you are utilizing in order to take back your power. Or in one case, someone who was a perpetrator of domestic abuse in their youth and wanted to atone which I found unbelievably fascinating. They had done some shit when they were a, a young person and they were ashamed of it the way they treated their partners and they were like, I want to do a scene where they turn around and beat the shit out of me. And I was like, whew, all right, let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but this is the thing. The, everyone who goes into doing a scene where they're pushing their own edge, pushing their own boundary, really needs to know why, because the why is going to inform how you talk about the scene, how you negotiate it, and also what you do afterwards. Aftercare is something that is so frequently neglected. I actually started teaching classes on aftercare, and people would be like, whoa, aftercare, you give them a blanket and some water. Why are you teaching a class on it? I already know how to do that. I'm like, perhaps you do know how to do that for the person you play with, but how do you do that for yourself? How do you do that when the scene goes off the rails? How do you provide aftercare when the person who you just spent the past hour beating the shit out of does not want to have you touch them? Now what the fuck are you gonna do, smart ass? <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that I talk about this is because I've had that scenario. I did a scene where at the end, there was no way the talk was gonna fucking touch me. I literally locked myself in a cage so that no one could fucking touch me. And like eight people were standing around outside going, uh. So now, after that entire experience, I'd recommend to people have aftercare buddies. If you're doing anything edgy, especially, everyone involved in the scene have someone outside the scene who is not involved in the scene who's gonna hold you, bring you water, and pat you on the head when the scene is done. Because especially with edgier shit, if you have spent time being cruel and unusual with someone, calling them names, degrading them, humiliating them, do you think they're gonna turn on a dime and be ready to hug you when you feel like it because the scene is over? Edge play comes from deep. It involves everything. You don't just shut it off. It's not like a, you know, like you have a fun little spanking and you're like, oh great, I feel so, I've got a little like sub goal, I'm feeling really good, I've got a little like, Top buzz, you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really great. What if you are feeling like the lowest piece of racist, sexist shit? What if you have just molested your beloved partner's inner six year old? 
and they're in a corner crying and kicking at you because they don't want to touch you, and now you're left dangling as the abuser. Have someone to help you. Have someone you will listen to and trust to be there to have them say to you, you're cool, it's good. Someone you will believe in that moment. Because not having people around to help in aftercare, especially for edge places, can potentially put you in a spot where you are floundering by yourself. One of the, the, the first sort of big uh, scene that I did that was very edgy that involved race play was sort of like a multi-people scene, and I'm going to give you the very condensed version of this. If you want to hear the full version of it, you can go. There's a podcast called Risk, R-I-S-K. It's fabulous. It's a good podcast. If you Google the Risk podcast and you look for me, there's an episode, very hard to find, called Slave. <laughs> where I talk in depth about this particular scene if you want to do a deeper dive. But the basic setup was the following. I, at the time, was part of the leather family. There was myself, my dominant trainer, his major domo, her subs, and a bunch of other bitches that my trainer collected as he wandered around, rotating cadre of grand bitches. Of course, that's not what he called them, but that's what I called them and why I eventually left. So anyway, friend of the leather family and I had planned the scene. We were gonna do a race play scene. It was gonna be him saying horrible things to me. And because he was an actual southerner and he had a little bit of that accent, it was gonna be extra flavorful, right? Spicy. Spicy. So in order to you know, make it even more spicy, we decided that during the course of a one month period, at any play party or play event that we were both appearing at, at any time a scene could happen. So like, I'm walking into parties and I'm like, it became like this hilarious game, right? Where he literally, like I was working at a party, I was working at the front desk and he shows up, I'm like, you can't, I'm working. He's like, look, you're done in two hours. And I'm like, fuck. This goes on for like three weeks. Probably I'm at a party, hanging out at the cheese table, like you do, having some cheese. And this guy's partner is there, and she's telling me the story about someone who burned out a barn in Palo Alto. And I'm like, what? Are there barns in Palo Alto? I'm like, whatever. Why do I care if someone burned down a barn in Palo Alto? And as I talk here, all of a sudden, there's like a fucking blanket over my head, and then I knock down to the ground or drag into the dungeon. I'm like, oh, the Palo Alto barn burning story must have been like the cue to start the scene. So I'm being dragged into the dungeon, I'm being beaten up and kicked around, and I'm like held down on this table, and like three other people are holding, you know, my hands and legs, and these, you know, got me by the throat and calling me all manner of bad names. Anything you could bring up, bad name you come. And he's like, I know you saw burn down my bar, you fucking nigger, and I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. And I'm like, oh, these rednecks. Like it was like it was nothing, right? So shit is going on, I'm getting my ass beat. He's, I don't know who burned down the barn. We're probably about 40 minutes into the scene, a good while. And I'm still getting the shit beaten out of me and being held down on this, on a, on a, on a massage table, essentially. And then I blinked, and suddenly I was over here on the St. Andrew's Cross. And I wasn't sure how I'd gotten from the bench to the St. Andrew's Cross. And I was like, wow, that's, that was really weird. Meanwhile, the beatings continued. But I was odd, I was like, that was very strange. And so at this point, I started to get very angry. As he was asking me this question over and over again, rather than just sort of feeling like I was having this enjoyable time in the scene, I just started getting really pissed off. I was like, I don't fucking know who burned down your barn. Leave me alone. And the beating continued. And then another couple of minutes went by and I blinked and suddenly I was hanging from a hook in the middle of the dungeon. And I was like, how did I get here? I had no concept of time passing and how I moved from one place to the other, which was deeply unsettling. But at this point, I was so exhausted. I had been, I found out later, at that point, we were all, almost three hours into the sea, where I had been assaulted almost nonstop for the entire three hours and interrogated. And at one point, escaped, because I was slippery. <laughs> <laughs> Got literally, thank God they stopped me to the front fucking vestibule of the play space. Can you imagine, like, people hang out probably something like, push you. <laughs> and people are still over the chief, keep like, should we stop her? <laughs> they stopped me, they brought me back in. More beatings continued. 
Finally, I was hanging from this hook and so exhausted, I couldn't hold my head up at all. I was just drooping, buried on tiptoes, hanging from this hook, and he pulls my head back. And at this point, I see that I'm surrounded, very similar to this, by three rows of people who are watching me see. And he says to me, as he takes a giant fucking serrated buck knife out of his boot and holds it between my legs, and he says, you better fucking tell me who burned down my barn, or I'm gonna cut you open from your pussy to your throat, and no one's gonna give a fuck or do nothing, because no one is gonna give a shit about another dead nigga. And in that moment, my thought was, I wish you would go the other way and kill me faster. <laughs> That was my fucking thought. I was like, just do it. And in that moment, the fucking dungeon owner came over and was like, okay, we're closing in 10. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. Takes me down off the hook, and this is when the beating commenced the other way, because I took a swing at it. <laughs> and he was shocked and jumped back. And I was like, don't fucking touch me, man. And some of the other people in my fucking leather family came over. I was like, nope. That was when I ran over, climbed into, and shut the door on a cage and pulled them all the fuck off. Now we're all sitting there like, what do we do? <laughs> what happens now? Because I was like, you are not touching me. Ironically and hilariously, my fucking like crazy ass sociopath top friend was like the only person that would let near me because he was a Jew. And I was like, you may enter a Jewish person. <laughs> These white people looking fuck right off. <laughs> so he calmed me down. He got me this, like, because my whole body was shaking. I like, couldn't even speak normally. Got me home, everything else. Now, by the time I got home, and I woke up the next morning, <laughs> a national firefight had erupted about this scene. Every single fucking place where people talked about SM, this scene was being discussed. And it fell sharply on two bright sides. One, he's a terrible cop, what the fuck he's doing. Two, she's in your songs with a lot of white and she's safer. That's, she's dangerous. I was dangerous. He's dangerous. Da -da 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 -da. Versus what the fuck happened. I have maybe in my life, I would be 54 in three days. I have maybe two things in my life I regret, maybe two. One of them is that I did not know and I did not fully understand that my not reaching out to him would destroy our friendship. Because I could not talk to him and I was very angry. I was angry at him as a white man for doing what he had done, first and foremost, because I did not get the proper aftercare that I needed. Because I didn't know. I didn't know. And I wish that I had been able to just reach out and say, shit is fucked up right now, but we will talk soon. I just need some time. I wish I'd been able to even just do that. It would have made such a huge difference. Because he was left alone in this treating void of being a racist fuckhead. Like his daddy. Like his brothers. Like the people he has striven to be his whole life as far away from as possible. So he was abandoned in this really dark place. And um, that's not what I want for my play partners or for my people. Yeah. Did he fuck up? I'm so fucking Mickey. And I wish that I had had that capacity to reach out to him right afterwards. Because it took a long time for me to even be able to talk to him because my entire spirit was ripped out and thrown on the fucking floor. I have learned, I mean, this, this particular scene happened so it took me like 25 years ago maybe? But I'm still unpacking it. That's how important it was. So when people say to me, oh, would you do it again? Like, absolutely. Because in those three plus hours, I learned so much about myself and so much about what BDSM is capable of doing. When I spoke to a friend of mine about having those missing chunks, she was like, why didn't you stop the scene when you dissociated? And I was like, what I what? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I haven't dissociated. I was like, I have not had that happen to me, so I don't know what the quote-unquote warning signs are. I don't know what it looked like. All I knew was that something was weird and I lost track of time for a second. Now I know. <laughs> but this was how I discovered that that type of thing can occur to me. I had no idea. Part two, if you were doing edgy fucked up scenes, don't layer a million different types of scenes on one. How many, how many types of scenes, how many labels could you put on this scene? It was uh, uh, a race play scene. It was an impact play scene. 
It was essentially a kidnapping scene. Primal. I'm sorry? Primal. Primal. Yes, it was a primal scene because it was definitely got loss of control. You know, it was an interrogation scene because like he's like, who burned down the barn? Who burned down the barn? The thing is that the psychology around interrogation, the repetition of questions, coupled with physical pain and discomfort, coupled with um, uh, 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 physiological distress, is insanely difficult and dangerous. And it wasn't what I signed up for. I did not sign up for an interrogation scene. I signed up for this race play scene. So keep it very, very simple when you are doing these scenes. When you are doing an edge play scene, keep it small, keep it easy, keep it short. Have someone with you who knows what you are doing, who you can speak to afterwards. Get your aftercare buddies together. Have a support network. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to fuck up. So often we are so locked into the idea that we have to be perfect, that everything has to be done right. But so much of what we learn, we learn picking ourselves up off the floor. So don't be afraid to explore. Do as much as you can to keep yourself and your partner safe. And understand that what we're doing is a fucking extreme sport, isn't it? It is no less dangerous than any other extreme sport. And I think smarter, personally. Like, I think perfect is way less stupid than skiers, for example. <laughs> <laughs> and if you also see, I will tell you to your face, you're dumb. <laughs> Those trees aren't going anywhere, and you are squishy. <laughs> So um, I want to move on to leave room for questions, answers, et cetera, stuff like that, because um, we're hitting just about the point where I'm going to need to wrap up in about 10 minutes. So was there anything, like you came in here today and you're like, I needed to hear about this thing and you didn't say it and I'm going to talk shit about you on FetLife if you don't <laughs> say this one thing that I came here to hear? Or any questions in general? I will also ask questions about not edge play stuff. Do you have anything else? Yes. When you said that you you would do that scene again, yeah. Do you think the reason but that it did go wrong? Correct. Do you think it went wrong because of the negotiation? Because there was a misunderstanding? Like, do you have you figured out when it went wrong? What you would do differently? What I would do differently is that from my side, obviously, I didn't make those decisions. But I would make it absolutely clear to keep it simple. I would say this is what we negotiated. Anything outside of what we specifically negotiated is not you adding a little extra little spiciness. It's going against the negotiation, right? And so this is the thing. So like the idea that like you're just going to be like, I'm going to try to rope both, but I'm also going to like put some nice little feathers in the rope to make it look like they have wings. That's lovely. What if they're allergic? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, we always discuss our uh, issues. Before yes, we should discuss them, people should listen and respect them and not get funny and not get cute and not get generous and not get creative. I find that my uh, play partners yeah. will not um, tell me when I'm taking them to the edge. Mm -hmm. They will not, like, I, I won't just stop personally and yeah. say, I'll be here because a lot of them like you. Inside. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the thing that I learned when I started topping people, because that was something that like, you know, my first training dominant, they would have just like some wars, like all the dominant would get together and just make us like do battle royale. <laughs> like in a budget. Yeah. And we're just like, to some like, uh. <laughs> Until someone would play like the Star Trek fight music and then it was like, oh, yeah. You are absolutely correct. And the trick that I learned was leave them wanting more. Always. Right? Yeah. Like, like in as much as like you might have the fangs have come out. <laughs> and you're just like, shred yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this was, what interestingly, I actually had a friend who was one of these really sterile tops. And um, she did not play with people who had safe words because she was like, I won't hear them. So what she would do is, she had a belt that she would wear, and when it was time for her to fucking chill out, her husband slash son would grab the belt and pull her off. <laughs> I will tell you, but there's nothing hotter than seeing a screaming 
flailing woman dragged off of someone on the ground. (laughs) And he's just like, she'll be fine, she'll be fine. There is a way around whatever your shortcomings are, whatever your problem is, whatever your issue is. There are creative solutions. Having someone pull, having someone else be the safe word for you. Having someone else be the aftercare for you. For example, if you are doing an interrogation scene and you do not want to break the interrogation but you care about the, the, um, the, the psychological health, have other people who are characters in the scene. Have another political prisoner in there with the person who's actually the center of the scene. Have them be the one who can go and say, yeah. right? You know, if you're the evil Nazi interrogator, have like another Nazi <laughs> who's like, uh, uh, yeah, my fans, it's at lunchtime. <laughs> you know, like there's ways to make it so that it is safer for you in these instances. Be creative in there. Find a way to get what you want and keep yourself safe because you're right. And the thing is, try not to hate on those people who are holding their tongue. For so many folks, it's taken them so long to get there. And then once they're there, the thought of stopping it is like the worst possible thing. You're like, I just don't want to stop. Even though your body's like, bitch, you better fuck it, you know? Your brain is like, no, more, 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 right? Like, so I try to approach that with compassion, that sort of like sub-frenzy, that kind of like dominant, you know, like, what is it, like the predatory cycle. It's lust. It is some form of lust. Passion. It is passion. And I try to be, I'm not like dismissing the behavior saying, go ahead, do it. But I'm saying, have some compassion as to the why and try to figure out ways to protect so that you can still have that experience versus say, no, forget it. In the same way that I learned, safe words are actually not designed to do what the safe word was supposed to do in the scene. Safe words were designed back in the day when people were doing role play scenes in order to have a way to pause or stop the scene without breaking the third wall, or the fourth wall of the scene, right? So if I'm a, if I'm a you know, being beaten up by some racist, and he's like, would you like some water? That's gonna fuck me up! Yeah. yeah. But if I can say, you know, like, cotton gin, and then someone else brings me a water, then the flow of the scene is less interrupted. So that's what safe words were for. They were for having a communicative process without breaking a scene. They were not designed initially as safety valves. And so that's the reason why they are flawed. Because if you are dissociated, if you are real in the scene, if you are just so terrified or angry or overcome, you yeah, might not be able to Exactly. Which is why you then move to things like holding a set of keys. Yeah. Right? Like there's other again, there's other ways to cope with these types of non-verbal moments. Find that and utilize them. Have as many fucking insurance measures in place as you can think of. And the most important measure of insurance is knowledge of your partners. This is the final thing I say. Edge play is not to be done with someone you just met off the street, unless, of course, the edges. I'm getting what that one's going. I just met off the street. <laughs> That's what you need to do. But there are even still safer ways to do that. Yeah. I have just met you. You probably have five people you trust. If I trust you, and I say to you, can you find five people you trust that thought me up the ass in this corner later? <laughs> Slightly safer than me going to the corner and going, Oi! <laughs> I need five rock hard cops. <laughs> if I must. <laughs> oh, you're ready to have a question. Apart from that scene and not want to actually be in touch with the other person, would you um, put a limit on that? So if you were planning this again, would you say, okay, we might not be in touch for three days, three weeks, three months, yeah. 
but if that time that we've agreed upon has elapsed and I still don't want to be with you in person, check in with them, I will have to and there will be people who will make me. That is or correct. would you set it up in a way that you would acknowledge that one outcome is that we have our independent support systems that are going to get us out of this, but an outcome might be that we will never speak again? It would be, it would depend on who I was playing with and what level of risk I was willing to take. Because both of those suggestions sounded entirely feasible, right? Like, either of them could work, depending on what's going on. Um, if it's someone who is sort of like in my inner, inner, inner circle, then I would be, then there would be the forced, the oblig not forced, the obligatory reconciliation. Because I would know that this is someone who I have in my heart, and I would suck it up, take the deep breath, and push for them. Because they have earned their way in here, yeah? So they get to stomp around a little bit. Anyone outside, like next level, then I would say like, if you do the scene, here's a disclaimer. And probably what I would do is I would actually do the negotiation and do the discussion of the scene and record it. And record each of us with our intentions and our love and care for each other so that if things get fucked up, you can go back and at least remember that moment when you did connect. And remember that this person that you connected with is not that evil figure. They're not that rapey priest or whatever the fuck you are doing, right? I don't know who said, oh, I don't know who said, oh, I don't know who said, oh, I don't Interestingly, and this sounds crazy, but there's plenty of people I would trust in terms of the, 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 basically the physics of the scene who are not my friends, who I would be like, if you're going to do this, then fuck off, let's do it. And there's probably people who would fit that category. You know? So the thing is to me, whatever you're looking for, whatever you need in the myriad of humans that are involved in our community, someone there can fulfill that. It's just a matter of patience and diligence and personal intelligence, knowing what you really need, and not being afraid to say it out loud. This is the last thing about Ed Play I would say. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it, that's fine. But you've got to manifest it to make it happen. You've got to own it. You've got to own the part of you that craves that darkness. And that part of you is very fucking sexy. And that part of you is very fucking powerful. And that part of you deserves to come out and play as well. It does. I truly believe that some of our best see and some of our best work comes out of some of our darkest corners. And it can be very valuable to go into that corner and spend some time dancing around with your own demons. So uh, I want to wind this down. I want to say thank you first and foremost for coming and listening. Um, this class will be on my podcast. Hopefully, sorry, Cody, that the sound quality is absolutely terrible, but at least you'll be able to hear it. And uh, looks like I'm also, um, I have some other classes that will be on there. If you go to the website, Kinkdula, K-I-N-K-D-O-U-L-A, that is my latest endeavor. That is where I offer counseling as well as coaching for perverts, about pervert stuff. People have been here saying, yeah, I just want to talk to you. I'm like, oh, no, no. But now I have to say, <laughs> now you can do it. It's official. It's a whole, it's a whole fucking vibe. So check it out if you like. And uh, please enjoy the rest of this amazing party. Have a great time. George Burn Down the Bar. <laughs> and the only reason I remember that is because at one point during the fucking scene, I started just yelling out men's names. <laughs> I know about the names of all of the Beatles. <laughs> Except Mr. Harrison. <laughs> Which would have ended the fucking scene. So yeah, that was, that was, that, I was like, when I found out, I was like, seriously,
carefully. And I was like, don't add shit like that to your scenes. Don't do that. That was just so, he thought he was being so clever. It's like an unknown safe word. Yeah. It's like an Easter egg for safe words. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Right, just to remind you folks, I just want to let everybody know, uh, remind you about the £99 ticket for the 8th of July event. That's really important. If you want that, bargain price is only going to happen today, then it goes back up to the normal price. Thank you very much, Melina. You are a fucking goddess, and we adore you. And You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb, theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.